This is episode 6 with Luis Ortega. You love it. You are great at it. The world needs it. You are paid for it. In this program, we go deep to get answers to essential questions and learn how to develop key skills to live a life that moves you. This is the Beyond the Surface Podcast. My guest, Luis Ortega, is very well known across different school districts in Washington State for his leadership work with minority youth. He's a social entrepreneur, an advocate for education, equity, and a TEDx speaker. In this episode, we talk about overcoming adversity, leadership, entrepreneurship, how to land a TEDx talk, the power of possibility, and more. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, dear listeners, I'm finally here with Luis Ortega, a good friend of mine and a key person in my life. I'll tell you why later. Uh, Luis, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, Alonso. How are you? It's been a while, so I'm excited to be here I know, it's you. been a while. We got we got really busy with stuff. Uh, we haven't had a chance to catch up, and what a great way to catch up this is. This is going to be exciting. <laughs> yeah, so just I want to start by telling people a little bit how we met. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was uh, UW. Uh, you were a familiar face. I think back then you were um, the president of the Latino Student Association. The Latino Student Union, yes. Latino Student Union. So I knew Luis by face. I Pretty don't know. Much. I can't recall why. Maybe like Facebook. I wasn't even that involved with Facebook back then. But you were a familiar face. And it wasn't until I think my last year at the UDAP, if, I, if that's correct, that I was facing deportation. I was an undocumented student and ended up in Canada. Long story short, you can go to my website to find out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I and, remember. But basically, I was facing deportation, and I uh, my only way out was, uh, part of it was to lobby the government. And Luis, I remember, was the one of the first persons that I thought about. He's like, I need troops. <laughs> Who has access to troops? And then I know, well, somebody, I think, so, I, I can't recall if somebody recommended you or you reached out. If I can tell you a short story about that, okay, that'd be go. pretty cool. So I was, I, I remember it so clearly because I also remember your face and I knew there was this guy named Alonso and I will see you from time to time at some uh, mutual friends uh, gatherings and things like that. And and we had always sort of talked to each other, uh, just passing by, but never really connected. And But I knew who you were. And one day I got an email from your sister pretty much explaining what had just happened to you and it like i just remember like just the plea for help uh, from your sister and to be honest i was in the middle of uh, studying for a midterm uh, that was going to happen the next day and i'm like this email is the last thing i need right now this is like a nuance <laughs> almost yeah and and i remember closing the email and feeling bad right like just a lot of empathy for you and it's like that sucks and this guy like i didn't even know that you were undocumented and, you know, I relate to the experience a lot, but I had a midterm. So I put the email away. I, I keep studying for my midterm. Ten minutes later, I, I just couldn't focus anymore. So I went, I replied to your sister. I started emailing all the people that I knew, all the lawyers that I knew, all my professors that I knew were advocates uh, at the university. Uh, Ricardo Sanchez, you know him, a, a good friend mm -hmm. and a big advocate. And, yeah, I mean, I, that's essentially how how we started. <laughs> I also wanted to to bring out the fact that you were a key person, not only for me, but for many other undocumented students. 
uh, at the time to be able to to go to college and have that access. I think the, there was a local legislation that w- was passed is the H- HB 1079. Well, you know, I mean, so with HB 1079, so what that did is allowed for, for in-state tuition to be available to undocumented students. And, and mm. it actually happened when I was in high school. So I wasn't part of that first initial push uh, to make that happen. I benefited from it. However... I was one of the early generations that benefited from HB 1079. Mm -hmm. And I was very aware of, uh, just as you mentioned, that there were other people that had advocated for me. And once I was at the University of Washington, one of the reasons why I was a familiar face to so many around the campus is because I became sort of the unofficial advisor to a lot of students. And is definitely to this day uh, one of the things that I take uh, the most pride on. Uh, as far as what I did at UW, just helping students to get there. Luis, let's, I wanted to start digging in a little bit uh, to get to know you better, starting from the beginning. You know, w- what was your childhood like? Sure, my childhood. So I was uh, born uh, in Mexico City. Uh, my parents split up when I was about five, six years old, and uh, we moved a lot. I mean, I went to 13 different schools wow. between the first grade and the eighth grade. Uh, mostly because uh, in my early childhood, uh, my dad is from Guerrero, Acapulco, beautiful place. Uh, I would spend a ton of time, you know, swimming in the ocean and all that kind of fun stuff. And then uh, we will travel back and forth between Mexico City and Acapulco. And then my parents split up. My dad left. And that meant a lot of uh, financial instability for my family. So my mom was always going from job to job. Uh, she's a musician, so she will teach piano lessons, things like that. Um, she was also a public school teacher, uh, but she didn't have seniority. Um, so she would always be the first one to get fired. And, you know, uh, she, she did the best she could to, to make ends meet, but, uh, it meant moving a lot. And I think in many ways that experience, uh, shaped me because I'm an introvert. I'm, I'm someone who has this, this social bubble around me and, um, you know, we'll get into this more later, but uh, believe it or not, for me, it's a lot easier to speak in front of a thousand people because there's a space between me and a thousand people in front of me than doing what we're doing right now because this mm-hmm. is so much more in- intimate, right? Mm-hmm. And for an introvert, this is just like produces more anxiety, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that came out of that experience. I mean, being the new kid at 13 schools over and over and over and over again, uh, you learn to not make friends because. What's the point? That's, you know, it's funny how crazy uh, our stories are. Yeah. I mean, I, I've never had like a solid group of friends because yeah. I was the, the new kid. Yeah, there you go. There you go. I mean, and, and that was very similar to me. And I feel like I had a very different story than my sisters. My sisters, they're extroverts. I have two younger twin sisters. And, and they, I mean, their their strategy is let's make as many friends as we can because mm-hmm. we'll be leaving soon and let's just make friends. And my story was like... I don't want to make friends and lose friends, so I'm just going to sort of keep at arm's length. Funny enough, uh, that made me very good at listening because I would just spend a lot of time just observing, hearing what people would say and sort of keeping keep it to my own. Now, there was one thing in your TEDx talk that really shocked me, which is that part where you mentioned that one, when you were in middle school in Mexico, one of your, your English teachers... Send a mom, send your mom a letter telling her that specifically that you will never learn to speak English. 
uh, and I know that you now work with educators and obviously you now speak English and everything, but why in the world would I just can't digest that a teacher would say that or go off their way, you know? So I wanted to first figure out exactly what happened there and then how did it impact you? So there's a lot more to that story that I couldn't mm -hmm. actually explore in the TEDx talk. Well, it's uh, hard, of course, yeah. But uh, really what it boils down to, uh, the funny thing is... Um, my mom was a teacher also at that school. Oh, my God. So so just to give you a little context around that. So what happened is my mom became a teacher at that school. It was a private school. It's the only private school I've ever attended in my life. I've attended to uh, public schools mm -hmm. all my life. Uh, but my mom got this job at this private school. And that uh, came with the opportunity for us to get a scholarship. Otherwise, my mom couldn't have mm -hmm. afforded that. So... Uh, for the first time, I was exposed to a private school education. Uh, I'm coming in as an eighth grader, and I'm surrounded by kids uh, who have pretty much rich parents, who have been in this school since the first grade, who have been learning English since the first grade. And here comes Luis, uh, poor dude, which people knew around the school, mm -hmm. right, because they knew who my mom was, and... Uh, I mean, you you probably know a little bit about this. Just in, in, I mean, and it's true here in the United States too, but in Mexico and Latin America, uh, classism, right? And just uh, how we treat people that come from a lower socioeconomic background, we have some serious issues with that. And 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 I got a lot of that. And on top of that, I'm an introvert. I'm the new kid. I don't speak English. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing great in all of my classes. But this one in particular sucked because whenever I stepped into that room, uh, my teacher will make it very clear to me that I was not welcome. I don't think that teacher liked my mom very much. Uh, I don't think that teacher liked the idea of someone like me from my class, uh, socioeconomic background, uh, was in that school. Uh, that was a type of attitude that this teacher had. And, and some of my classmates would be happy to speak English around me. And uh, I have no clue what they were saying about me, but I couldn't imagine it was uh, anything uh, too good. So, so all of that to say that you know, uh, I failed that class, of course, because it was just really difficult. And mm -hmm. um, I remember my mom having a conversation with me. She told me I would lose a scholarship if I didn't like do better. So I, I tried just so hard. Were you hard. trying? Were you actively trying doing your homework? I, I was, you know. I mean, I was doing my homework. But I, you felt that there was doubt from that teacher. Well, I, I well definitely doubt from her, and but I, and I had self doubt too. I had, a lot of it, right? I had a lot of anxiety and, you know, the whole self-talk model, right? So, you know, there's this, uh, it comes from sports psychology, right? So mm -hmm. uh, what you tell yourself influences your self-image and your self-image influences uh, what kind of actions and the actions that you put on the world give you some feedback. So as much as I was trying to do something different, I was not getting better because in my head, I could not stop telling myself, I'm dumb, I do not belong here. It's so clear that people don't like me here. I don't like myself. And that type of self-talk uh, led to a self-image and a series of actions that no matter what I did, I could never really improve. So, so of course, I failed the class for the second semester. And that's when uh, my teacher actually invited me to go in front of the classroom and openly announce to everyone that I was stupid, uh, that I will never learn English. And then she walked to her desk. She took out a, I still have that letter, by the way. She, she took out a piece of paper and she wrote this long letter to my mom. Uh, and yes, as you mentioned, quote, you will never learn English. And then 
because you're stupid. And he, she wrote that. Yeah, she wrote that. I, I have it. And and I never gave it to my mom. And and you know why? Because one, I know my mom would have gone crazy on this teacher. And I didn't want my mom to lose her job. Right? Like I've seen that too many times already. So wow. I just held it all in and uh, the kicker is that a couple months after this happens, my mom tells me that we're moving to this country. Okay. So now I'm like, okay, so this self-talk thing, right? Like I'm like the stupid kid who who can learn English. And now you're telling me that we're moving to a country where it's not only the English class I have to worry, everything's in yeah. English now. So that that produced quite a bit of anxiety. Um, so yeah, it was, uh, uh, you, you are very right, uh, a very key moment in my life and in, in my early years. Wow. And then, then you end up moving here, and and then you're just you and your mom. Uh, my mom, myself, and my two younger sisters. Mm-hmm. And then you were you're telling me that then later on, you know, we're in high school now. Uh, you're a senior, a senior year in high school, and again a similar story happens. Um, where's the your senior counselor, senior counselor tells you that college is not for you. So could you could you tell me why he said that? Yeah. So you know what's what's important to know about here also for context is that I had a three point nine GPA. Okay. As a senior in high school, and I learned English in six months. Uh, once I moved here, mm-hmm. I kept a four point GPA for most of my time in high school. Amazing. And the reason, uh, and 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 this is where sometimes when I t- share this story with students, especially, it's like, well, you know, they want to dismiss it. I was like, well, you're smart, and you they didn't want to show it back in me. I was like, no, like I really, I I don't think it's that simple. Uh, to be honest, uh, it, it boiled down to working very very hard, of course. But really, the key difference for me is that once I came to this country, I had a very clear understanding of two things. One, that we have a second chance, right? It's the proverbial. A second chance and two that it was all because of my mom's work and my mom's work and sacrifice was so evident to me uh, she would wake up at three in the morning four in the morning go clean a kitchen cook at a kitchen clean houses come back at you know home late at night 10 11 and all of that so i could just go to school that's the only job i had to do um it was tough i like would spend nights just trying to read translating word by word using a dictionary um, these books so that I could learn English faster and that's how I did it so mm-hmm. you know fast forward to senior year and and this moment uh, this is it right this is what my mom has been working for so that I can go to college and I'm having this conversation with a counselor and then my immigration status comes up and were you aware of your immigration status before I that? was I was very 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 aware of it um I, what I was not aware of is what it meant in terms of my opportunities beyond high school. Really quick for the listeners who don't yeah, know sure. too much about that part of your story is how uh, how did you end up with an undocumented status here? Sure. So uh, what that uh, what led us to that uh, for me uh, was a uh, tourist visa that mm-hmm. expired and um, overstayed. Pretty much, yes, overstayed, and then. Um, my family, however, they were able to renew theirs and eventually my family went back to Mexico and I stayed by myself. So, um, I ended up being the one in my family who was out of status pretty much. Cause and you turn 18, you're, su- you're supposed yeah. to 
that's when you basically are officially undocumented yeah thing whatever. yeah <laughs> that um yeah. so anyway so you know uh so there, there you have it again you know i i'm sort of just pleading for help and um you know i have a lot of empathy for my counselor uh even though she did a horrible thing to me, like she just pretty much kicked me out of her office and said, people like you don't go to college. But, but, but was that because you were undocumented? Yeah. So he, she just didn't want to spend the extra time trying to figure that out. She was just like, well, here it says you need this, you need this, you need this. And if you don't have it, you're wasting my time. Sure. I mean, I cannot speak for her, but my best guess is that she was just very, I mean, I, I just remember it so clearly. It's, uh, it's one of those other key moments, if you will, mm -hmm. that is just so engraved in my memory. I remember her face the moment I said those words, uh, no papers. And she looked scared. And she looked appalled. And, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get into, uh, again, I cannot speak for her. Correct. But the, 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 it boils down to she did not believe someone like me deserve to go to college and her actions made it evident because the moment I spoke those words she stayed quiet she didn't say anything mm -hmm. and then she got up walked to the door opened it and said get out of here she said get out she said get out and she said people like you don't go to college and oh, my reaction oh, wow. and, and my, my whole thinking is you know uh, it, I, I mean I think she was scared there's just so much um ignorance around this issue of, of immigration and, and undocumented families, uh, especially within the context of education, uh, but just at large. And I think it scares people sometimes. And I say that I have a lot of empathy for my counselor because I wonder had our public education system done a good job at training counselors on what are in fact the laws because it was completely lawful for me to go to college. But what you have right there is a very clear example of somebody who doesn't understand how to advise the students that are part of their school. So so, so there's a gap there. Uh, and that's something else that, that fueled my, my passion for, for education and definitely shaped me. How did you get started in leadership training? Sure, sure. Uh, Not necessarily paid, just since the beginning, just the idea of training people how to develop leadership. How do you even teach somebody leadership? What is the meaning of leadership? Yeah, definitely. So uh, that's a great question because, and and I think you you maybe had a chance to uh, to also be beyond my TEDx talk uh, a couple of years ago. I was invited to uh, speak at the University of Washington. They put uh, this great event called uh, "You Lead, We Lead," and it's part of this Husky Leadership Initiative that they have, uh, where they want to redefine what leadership is. And they asked me to go and speak about my leadership experience and. Really, uh, what the conversation boiled down to is by accident. That's sort of how I stumbled into it. I just happened to uh, have a personal need uh, at the time, which was uh, pretty much eating, uh, mm -hmm. which led me to go to a lot of meetings and events where there was free food. Mm -hmm. And I could not help but to listen. I'm a, I'm a good listener, right? So I'm just listening and, and absorbing, and I'm hearing this word leadership being turned around a lot. And then... Uh, that's not really the part that captivated me. What I'm also starting to see in a lot of these meetings is a need. And what is the need? The need is that there's not a lot of people uh, that look like me, that speak like me, that come from the places where I've come from and have seen the things that I've seen in these quote-unquote leadership positions. So I respond to the need by, one, getting involved, but two, uh, wanting to really reach out to others and 
just it boils down to this are you just willing to raise your hand when somebody says are you a leader that's it and you would think that's um maybe you're like well that's crazy like what do you mean that's it that's not leadership but i think about you know as i reflect back in in high school and even throughout college and even in the professional world how many times people get the opportunity just because they're willing to raise their hand when others do not and the reality behind that is that we've developed an ideal image of who is the leader, right? It has these type of qualities. Uh, it's, it's charismatic. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's always going to volunteer first. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it will look this way and this particular way. And when we start to develop that social definition of leadership, um, well, others, uh, will compare themselves to that and say, well, that's not me. Uh, now, it doesn't matter if that other person maybe had more potential, uh, more actual organizational leadership capacity, or maybe uh, some other amazing talent. If that person doesn't raise their hand when the question is asked, guess what? They're not a leader. Uh, nor at least within uh, our, our understanding of leadership uh, from an organizational, institutional perspective. Now, there's other types of leaderships we could talk about, right? Like there's grassroots leadership, there's like organizing leadership, there's uh, even just taking on this leadership role in your family. But just from a very, you know, my particular interest was how do I get people from uh, underrepresented backgrounds, you know, immigrant refugees, people of color, uh, LGBTQ, uh, women, how do I get those people to come into these spaces where decisions are being made? And how do I get them there? The fastest, easiest ways, raise your hand when somebody has the question, who wants to volunteer, who wants to be a leader? Mm-hmm. And I started doing that a lot for myself. I believe in leadership by example. It's like put yourself in the spot. Yeah, put yourself on the spot, right? Like, I mean, you'd be amazed um, how much can happen once you are willing to, even if it's just a whisper, just say yes to yourself. Mm-hmm. And suddenly things start unfolding pretty quickly. So, you know, I think you bring a good point is leadership later on from an organizational level, meaning leading a team or something like that. But sure. all it starts by leading yourself. I, and I think you have to lead yourself to that moment. Now, of course, are there, uh, as I began to, you know, sort of really engage in this, of course, I, I began to understand that you cannot just throw people into opportunities and sort of this like sink or swim mentality, you have to prepare people for that, right? So so there are certain key skills that, that you want to build and it does start with leadership of self, then, you know, there's there's leadership of others, then you can move into more complex leadership, like managerial leadership, organizational leadership, of leadership of movements, right? I mean, there's, there's a whole ladder of options there. But what I am the most passionate about is these early stages of leadership. Because I feel like that's the make it or break it moment. And, and again, it's that self-talk thing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer in this. Once that thought gets inside your head that tells you you are not a leader or you're not leadership material, it's very difficult to get rid of it. But the same is true about the opposite. Once, and, and that's why I mentioned just the whisper, right? Once it's just a tiny little whisper in your head that says, yes, you are a leader. Or yes, you belong in that place then the same is true. It's very difficult to get rid of that. And that's what happened with me. And uh, that's why years later, uh, I believe I, I continue to take on, on leadership roles and, and continue to grow as, as a leadership trainer. You're, I think you're done with school. You know, you got to figure out what you're going to do after. Mm-hmm. You, you got your degree. That was a big goal 
for uh, most of us, but now real world comes up. You're sure. still undocumented. Uh, were you? Yeah. Okay. And what was the tipping point event that enabled you to turn that passion that you have for, for leadership training that you were doing through the clubs and volunteering mm -hmm, mm -hmm. into an actual full-time business? Throughout my last two years at the University of Washington, I had the opportunity to uh, work with a handful of nonprofit organizations across Washington State. And I was exposed to uh, other uh, people from similar backgrounds uh, as mine who uh, were also very interested in, in leadership development work, but from a nonprofit perspective, until I met uh, this amazing person. His name is Vincent Perez. Uh, he works uh, with the Association of Washington School Principals. And I just, I mean, it was so simple. Uh, he, he started this amazing program also called La CIMA Leadership Camp. Uh, it's a bilingual leadership camp for high school students. It's, it's amazing. Um, and I remember I was, I was talking to him, and I was talking to him about my frustrations with the nonprofit mentality, I call it. Uh, it's just this notion that, you know, you... you you are only meant to make X amount of money for certain type of work because it should all be altruistic and all this different stuff. And it was just so simple. He just said, why don't you start a business instead? And it, it never really crossed my head because uh, it's, again, it's sort of you know what you know and you don't know what you don't know. You know, I mean, you know, it's, it's I come from a background with, again, my mom, my grandma, they are teachers, mm -hmm. right? There's no, there's no business background. Even my father... Uh, he has more of a political uh, background. Uh, but even like for a long time, what he did for a job, he was a university professor. So there's there's not that business mentality in my family. And and there's almost also sometimes these sort of like negative thinking towards businesses, right? It's like, oh, that's like, it's selfish. And it felt like it would go against my philosophy. You know, that, that type of thinking is out there. Mm -hmm. uh, at least I was exposed to some of that, right? Is again, is this whole like you should be more your your type of work sounds more like nonprofit work, and I was convinced it was not. Um, and it was just that it was just that was why not a business? And within a week, I had my business license. I did all my research. I I had a little bit of savings left from some scholarships. I bought a domain. I got a website. I reached out to as many people. Uh, I, I could, uh, all this network that I had been developing for years, and I said, I'm open for business. If you want me to... Open for uh, what specifically? To, to yeah, if you workshops want me to, or... Yeah, if you want me, and specifically at this point, it was with high school students. Uh, if you want uh, leadership training uh, for high school students, so student government, uh, but also leadership training for students who are traditionally not represented, right, in, in, in leadership work, uh, if you need a speaker to come and, and, and motivate and, and inspire and, and discuss these topics of why diversity matters in leadership and why mm -hmm. inclusion matters, then I'm your guy. Um, I got zero responses back. Mm -hmm. uh, people, a lot of thank yous and a lot of congratulations, mm -hmm. but no one person. That actually is willing to hook you up with a gig. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, the first two years were really difficult. I, I questioned uh, a lot of what I was doing, if I was doing it the right way, if I was marketing the right way. A lot of temptation to just also copy uh, what other people were doing. 
but that felt like were there what? any other people doing that like no. uh, tra training for uh, students in schools because I, i haven't seen that i never yeah even... i mean there's a huge world of, i mean you'd be surprised how much money there is on for speakers for speakers and training um mm. but the thing is that mainstream right i'm not mainstream i'm not your i cannot tell you how many times i've been featured at a conference and they tell me you know this is the first time we have a latino Uh, speaking to to our kids at this conference. Just uh, two days ago, I was a keynote speaker for the Association of Washington Student Leaders Conference. First time in the history of this conference that they have a Latino speak. First time. Well, it just it, there's just something about the accent that gives hope. For example, I'm going to tell you why. I mean, the context on that is I'm always been very aware of my accent from a business standpoint because sure. I felt it's going to hold me back if I'm not clear it's going to be harder for me to do webinars it's going to even be hard for me to do something like this you know somebody who really inspired me that the accent is is a made up limitation in my head Jorge Ramos I, holy yeah. crap Jorge Ramos is just killing it and that guy has an accent just like me if he can do it I can do it you and know, he's better than any uh, in my opinion you know? another point uh, of commonality between the two of us because it's exactly the same it's Jorge Ramos too I kid you not uh, and I've I've had a couple times people tell me you know um, we're just worried that our kids will not understand you because of your accent I've had people tell me that that's the reason why they are not going to hire me for a training or for speaking at their school uh, and there was some self-doubt there I mean I, I'd be lying if I said that sometimes um, I didn't think about it But Jorge Ramos is the person that, uh, in many ways, you know, uh, to me, really serve like as, as a constant example of what it means to just embrace it and just understand it. As, I think you phrased it beautifully. You know, it's this uh, self-limitation that's on your head, right? Another thing I wanted to dive in is and some, a question that a lot of people are excited to learn more about. Sure. Is how did you land at TEDx Talk? Because that's a big accomplishment. Yeah, you know, that's definitely been a highlight. Uh, it was definitely a bit unreal when it happened. I mean, again, I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm speaking too highly of myself. I knew I was going to do a TEDx talk at mm -hmm. some point in my life. I just knew it. It mm -hmm. was going to happen. And, and I think that's perhaps one of the first things that I would say about Uh, just putting that energy out, you know, and just talking with people about it, just being very intentional about letting people, mm -hmm. what are your goals? Because it holds you accountable, right? But it also, uh, in many ways, uh, communicates to other people, you know, what are you going after, right? And this helps people understand how they could also help you. So for a while there, during the time when I got the, uh, asked to, to be part of this TEDx uh, event, I had been expressing to a few people, That you wanted to do uh, that, I wanted to do one, and and I'm I'm known across Washington State as uh, as uh, a speaker, a storyteller, and I've I've made my rounds across the state a couple times, mm -hmm. and it so happened that uh, as I was sharing this uh, with some people, uh, they knew uh, this new organizing team that was coming in to to put together this TEDx event, and as they were beginning to bet who could be some potential speakers. Uh, my name did not only come up once, it came up five times. Uh, you know, you could be uh, strategic about it in, from a perspective of if you already know that there's a, a TEDx event uh, that, that you maybe want to be a part of, network with the organizers, right? Uh, be, become part of uh, that community. Uh, put 
to gather your message already ahead of time. Don't wait for somebody to ask you to do a TEDx talk to put together the talk. Put the talk together and actually start delivering it. And then people learn about it. And that's what makes them want to uh, bring you. I mean, the pe people who do TEDx talks or just TED talks, or, you know, in the big leagues, is people who already have a message, right? People who uh, have already, maybe they're not delivering it necessarily in public speaking forums, but they have already a message, right? And An innovation, uh, a philosophy, uh, a project, and that catches people's interest right now i'll also say this you do not want to be someone that um, it's trying too hard to get a tedx talk right because uh, I, I think actually that will do the, uh, that may push some people from not uh, wanting to invite you uh, if you just seem like uh, you're just continuously uh, annoying and emailing 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 somebody's like hey you know I, i'd be great right be great if you're just over pitching right like yourself as a as a speaker that that could hurt you uh, but for me uh, I, I it really was about just putting the message out there you uh, that this it. is something that I wanted to do uh, having my message already and at this point I had so already, they already knew what they wanted you to talk about they knew um, so you already had a message and after you were approached by the telex people that's when the next step for you was to package that message in their format Correct. Right in a in a way that is memorable, remarkable, and that was gonna be my my next question is what was your process for developing your TEDx talk? Sure. So uh, I, I I think of uh, I use this framework um, for just overall storytelling, public speaking, uh, challenge, choice, uh, and change. Right. So I start by discussing uh, the adversities, the difficulties. Uh, then talk about the choices that helped you to overcome that and then what is what is the change that came out of that right uh, and then uh, all of that with a beginning portion uh, to engage the public and then a closing portion uh, that reinforces the key points of your talk uh, so it's sort of these five point structure that, that you develop and uh, you just figure out depending on what is your message uh, what are the right things that you want to say the right stories uh, TED Talks uh, are particularly challenging because they have to be very short, very concise. So every single word counts. Mm -hmm. uh, usually when I'm storytelling, I, I can take as much as, you know, 45 minutes to an hour. Uh, the trick here was I had too much content, right? So I really had to boil it down. I had to figure out what was the essence of each one of those stories that I've been telling you today, right? Uh, with my teacher who, who said I could never speak English or my counselor, right? I did not provide all the context, but just enough to give people a glimpse into uh, what was happening. So uh, a lot of uh, just writing and finding those key sentences that resonate the most with you. And the way I go about finding that, I I, I really, I mean, and sometimes when people are around me, they, they think I'm crazy because I, I speak to myself as pretty much I'm in my room and I'm just talking. And whenever I get chills, when I say a sentence, like I just like feel it, then I know that's the sentence I want to focus on and I keep working with that. And then, you know, once I uh, develop some of those key sentences, believe it or not, I don't write my speeches. Um, it's never worked for me to write them because then I feel I'm trapped. I have to follow the script. I have to follow every single one of those words. Instead, uh, I just uh, write the key sentences that I know I want to say. Those are the ones that I really memorize. And in between... Um, I just play uh, with 
language, right? I play with words and um, once I find some that I like, I just practice it a lot. I mean, that TEDx talk, before I gave the talk, I probably gave that exact same talk maybe 50 times. Wow. Preparation. Deliberate preparation. preparation. Yeah. Yeah. Deliberate practice. Yeah. Very, very, very practice. Making sure you're always getting feedback and improving from that, right? Very, very intentional. I'm paraphrasing from your talk. Sure. Your definition of possibility, which is believing in yourself and believing in others so that you can help others create opportunities for themselves and for others, right? And then you call this the the movement to, in, uh, I think, the movement to inspire possibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. No, 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 that, that's, that's it. How did the word possibility became such an important word in your life? How the What was your process to landing and focusing on this word? Because you said every word counts, but that was the main word of your talk. Yeah, so, and, and this came out of this reflection process that I just talked to you about. When I began to think about the TEDx talk and all these different moments, I kept landing on uh, what I started to call impossible moments. I mean, suddenly it all adds up and you're like, so much has happened to me where people have told me that I should not do something or that something was not for me or that I was not meant to be somewhere. Uh, Luis, you will not learn how to speak English. Luis, you will not go to college. Luis, uh, you should you should not become an entrepreneur. Luis, there's just a recession. This is the worst time to like start a business. And I my and my reaction to that, of course, is well, I've always gone against that, right? Uh, so what's the opposite of impossible? Possible. And uh, the moment I, I I said that out loud, it just clicked for me. Uh, so uh, the meaning for me really is very personal because it's how I've chosen to live my life. Hmm. Uh, anytime someone has told me that something's impossible, I tell myself it is possible. That's amazing. Uh, every moment is the moment to do your best is another of the key messages of your TEDx talk. How do you hold yourself accountable to always do your best? You know, because it is a challenge. Right? We all know that if the, 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 the harder you try, the better you do. But there's sometimes where we're just not motivated. We're just having a bad day. Uh, is there any stra- any tactics, any strategies that you may de- you may have developed for yourself as an entrepreneur, especially? Because you don't work for anybody. You don't you're not part of any you're you're your own organization. Uh, to help you hold yourself accountable to always do your best. Morning time. It just sets the tone for the rest of your day. Every single morning, I will spend at least an hour, sometimes more, but at least an hour uh, just doing very intentional uh, work around my business. Uh, and what I've learned over time is that what I can accomplish in one hour in the morning, I cannot in three or four hours in the afternoon. Hmm. Uh, every single morning doing that uh, gives me a sense of momentum and gives me a sense of purpose and helps me to hold myself accountable. Uh, do I always succeed at keeping with that momentum throughout the whole day? No, right? And this is where ups and downs do come. But even when I wake up feeling horrible, I will still spend that hour uh, doing that. For brevity, in one to five sentences, sure. what's the best lesson you le- you le- you've learned so far about overcoming obstacles? You and only you uh, has the power to define how far you go. 
that's it. I mean, it boils down to choice. I have a couple more questions before we wrap up. Sure. Uh, so a little less deep, just a little, a little more funny. Is it, yeah. What is something the most people don't know about you? I'm I very silly. You're silly. I'm just ridiculously silly. And most people don't know this because in the professional world, I'm very serious. I'm known as someone who uh, is always there to get things done, straight to business. At home, I'm just so silly. I, I like singing to myself. I do little dances. Uh, my partner knows this very well about me. I I make voices and faces. and <laughs> My and, daughter is going to love you. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, I mean, when I'm little kids, it comes out. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm just I very, very, no very silly. I'm going to have to invite you now. Yeah, we'll so make wanna, it happen. I want to definitely see the silly voices. Uh, do you have any daily tools, rituals to help you conquer the day? I know you briefly talked about, you know, writing in the morning and everything, but I'm thinking more about going in, into detail, like from the time you wake up to when you go to bed, uh, what it is that you have found to be these little things that, set you up for success? I'll tell you five things very quickly. Okay. The very first thing that I do when I wake up, I drink water. <laughs> All right. And it's such an important Boom. one. Uh, second one, breathing. Uh, I practice yoga. Uh, and a big part of yoga beyond just the movement is just breathing and learning how to breathe. And you'd be surprised. Most people actually don't know how to breathe. So mm-hmm. uh, I just spend a good 15, 20 minutes stretching, breathing, relaxing, just uh, staying focused, letting go of things uh, and just starting from new place then the third one is the writing um, the next one is uh, what i call my moment of gratitude so uh, every day i i try to either uh, in person to to someone a stranger or someone in my life uh, to just express gratitude to them and the very last thing that i do at night every single night uh, i drink water there you go and uh, what's the latest top of mind favorite book that you would recommend to someone right now so i'll tell you i have a book so i i i just uh i read a long time ago but i just began reading it again because i just love it so much it's called brain rules Mm -hmm. uh, by john medina he's a researcher out of the university of washington and in his book first of all it's hilarious the guy's an amazing like you will say like a book about the brain that sounds so boring the book is hilarious uh it's uh, it's uh, full with uh, all kinds of clever little anecdotes and uh, just teaches you so much about your brain and I mean it's something that I feel like uh, all of us don't don't fully understand how amazing our brains are uh, and it has all these little fun hacks uh, that uh, I really enjoy so uh, I laugh and then it just is a good reminder uh, around you know just how to have a more healthy brain great book uh, I'll make sure to include it in the show notes so yeah I'm, Three words that best describe you. Empathetic, serious, and silly. All right. I know it's a tough question, but yeah. that, that's, I think it's a powerful question. Yeah, just I think, think about I, I, words. I think like it that. is. Uh, and finally, uh, I want to make sure that people listening to this have an opportunity of contribution. So this is where they get to give back if they found anything that you said valuable, something that they plan to use. What's the latest thing you're working on and how can those listening to this right now do to support you? Uh, The latest project that I'm working on right now, I'm working with uh, two good friends uh, to put together a startup. Uh, 
Uh, it's called Mercado.soy uh, and it's an e-commerce platform uh, for uh, primarily Spanish-speaking uh, Latinos in the United States. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm really excited about it uh, just because currently there is no e-commerce solution for Spanish-speaking uh, Latinos in our in our country. But it's also so true that there are so many people that want to engage with this growing market that don't have a, a way of reach them. And we want to remove that language barrier. Like We don't think language should be a barrier. It should be an opportunity. Oh, so you mean that there is nothing available for them because of the language? Correctly. And I mean, and the thing that, so essentially what this platform is going to be is, I mean, it's like any other e-commerce platform. It's said the moment you just put something there is automatically translated to both languages. Mm. So it allows people who want to sell something who only speaks Spanish to be able to sell it to people who speak English nice. and people who speak English to be able to sell to people who only speak Spanish. So mm-hmm. it completely removes this, this language barrier. And I think the best way any, anyone uh, could help uh, is just uh, stay stay tuned. Uh, if you want to check out the site, it's called mercado.soy.soy. And um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're launching here within uh, a month, month and a half. So... Uh, I, I'm excited to see uh, where that goes. We've been we've been working on this for about a year and a half, so um, wow. I'm excited. Amazing. What was the best place to for people to stay in touch with you on social media? Uh, social media, uh, definitely uh, my my Facebook page. Uh, uh, I'll include the links. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Facebook page, uh, Instagram. Uh, it's a, it's another great way. If people wanna uh, reach me by LinkedIn, uh, I'm always happy to to network with other professionals so i always welcome invitations to talk and just uh, get to know other entrepreneurs other people who are interested on the same things that i'm passionate about and that's it luis thank you so much i really appreciate it alonso uh this was uh, just a great experience thank you and that was my interview with luis ortega A couple of quick announcements before you leave. If you're interested in watching Luis TEDx talk or learning more about his new startup company, I've added a couple links on this episode's notes alongside other resources, which you can find at thebtspodcast.com. If you enjoyed listening to this interview, I would appreciate your support by leaving me a review on iTunes and sharing this episode with your network. Thank you for tuning in. And remember to live a life that moves you.